Bless you, Arnell. While you've been here in New York, have you been entertained royally? Oh, I think so. It's been an exciting experience so far. I've seen some of the most beautiful nightclubs in the world, and I've met some very, very exciting people. Well, that's very fine. I can't go to nightclubs anymore. Uh, my wife has got to check on me and the income tax. Okay, Hughes, now tell me about yourself. Well, I was born in Los Angeles and raised there. I went to UCLA. Now I am living in New York. I love the city and really don't wish to go back to Los Angeles. I don't think that I want to be the final judge to judge you six girls. You all look so wonderful. It's a wonderful opportunity for all of us, even the five who don't win. We all win, really. Choose your favorite Miss Rheingold candidate and vote for her today. This is WORAM and FM, your RKO General Station in New York. It's 11.15, time for the world of Gene Shepard. gentlemen's quarterly and they've got a devil of a smashing idea uh, just a devil of a good idea in gentlemen's quarterly i it's just i just thought i'd bring it to you but after all you know sometimes you just i, I just realize that you don't get a chance to read all things you want to read my god it's a devil of a good idea gentlemen's quarterly uh it's a personal pepper mill uh many times i'm sure that you've been in uh the less disengaged restaurants and have had to suffer the problems of using unground fresh pepper. You know, that sort of thing comes out of a can. It's awful stuff. And here, here's the advertisement. It says, personal pepper mill. Carry your personal pepper mill with you and feel a sense of gourmet status. Solid walnut cased in genuine red leather. 
It measures three-quarter inches by two inches. Devil a good idea, actually. Small as a matchbox and weighs but two and a half ounces. Beautiful little thing comes with your initials embossed on it in sterling. Perfectly engineered grinding mechanism. And now, by God, you can have pepper ground that is fresh wherever you go. So I, I, I think that in spite of all these people you hear, these naysayers around, that things are actually a lot better than they used to be. And uh, no, actually, I feel that. I, I like. Uh, there's a lot of people today who don't say things are things are all going to pot. But my God, I don't see that at all. I, I, uh, I, I everywhere I look, I see that things are picking up a little bit. And I, I just thought that you'd like to know a personal pepper mill. I, I, I just thought I'd drop in and I'd like to say so long. I'm, my God, it's good night for tennis. And would like to have a few rubbers, a few sets with me. I'd, One more, Don, please, just a little bit. That's enough. That's enough. Oh, that's a lot of that. It's a very strong stuff. It doesn't go very far, but it's very strong where it goes, as far as it goes, as far as it goes, goes, as far as it goes. Now, now, uh, since this is Friday night, I'm perfectly aware that this is a night of uh, latent danger. It's a night <laughs> filled with portent and uh, uh, many kinds of portent, evil and otherwise. I... Uh, feel, however, that uh, since this is Friday night, and uh, many of us get a little nervous on Friday night, that uh, we, we, we've come here tonight to, uh, in a sense, uh, bring you good news and tidings that perhaps might bolster the vague feeling that you've had from time to time that maybe there are some good things in the world after all. Some good things after all. I, I, I understand that... Uh, out in the West Coast area, there's been a new political party formed called the Love Party. Now, I'm serious, and uh, I don't know who they're going to put up for a candidate. They're pointing for 64, and uh, I'm not sure who they will have up for a candidate, but they've got some wonderful, some, some spectacularly wonderful views and attitudes towards the world in general. Now, now I'm, I'm sure there isn't a same... Put oh, one of you up there, just one of you, who put, put your hand up there... If you feel that you are capable of the true love that very few people are capable of these days, if only you could find someone who would be worthy of that sort of thing. Bring it out in a few, you know. Just put your hands up there because we've, we've got a lot of things coming. Later on, after the station break, when the kids have peeled off and the ladies have gone to bed, we, we are going to give you some true handy hints and kinks about love. We've got a few things uh, on the docket here. But you know, uh, as long as as long as it is Friday night, uh, I, I would like to also report uh, other good things that are in the wind. Do you know that uh, you, you call you? Of course, do you remember the the speech that Frank Sinatra gave here a few semesters ago when they had the Academy Awards? And I was always on the Academy Awards. And uh, yes, he gave a speech. He says that, that America, the the theater and the uh, movie business in America is coming of age. He said, I remember it very well. He says, coming of age now. And they're going to start making good films like them guys in Sweden and all those guys over there in Italy and those places. He said, we're going to start making that kind of stuff. Well, at long last, I'm privileged to, to uh, 
bring to you, in case you missed the important announcement, that one of the film studios has announced that it is about to film in its entirety, in one film, it's about to film the Bible total in one film. Uh, now, I, I, that, I think, is a step in the right direction. It's got a fantastic plot, and, and uh, oh, yes, it's a tremendous... And, and uh, another thing I like about it is that all those subplots, gee whiz, think of the things you can do, what a great character bit you can do in it. And furthermore, you know, it's very interesting. It's in public domain, actually, too. That adds a little bit there. You don't have, you don't have any rotten authors sitting around yelling and screaming. You know, one of the worst things about the film business is that, is that these guys write a book and the next thing you know, they think they're experts on films and everything. You know, that is a fact. I, uh, I don't know. I, I'll never forget one day. I'm sitting with a with a famous producer, see, and you think I know this famous producer? No, people get audiences with famous producers. They don't know them. You see, not at all. And and I remember sitting there, and he was saying, "Well, now, let me tell you, one of the worst things in the film business always we have to face them." Them authors. All the time the guy writes a book, you think he knows about montages. Uh, you think he knows about stars. Uh, casting, let me say, casting. I invented casting. Casting. Uh, before they used to put pictures, people in the pictures, I cast. First man in the business cast. Me. I cast. Well, now let me tell you, you think you know about... That? I sit there with O'Hara. John, o what's his name, O'Hara? John O'Hara, yeah. Well, write a book. I don't know. Write a book. I don't know. Butterfield 7, something... something. Exchange phone. Yes, I said, O'Hara, I will tell you how a movie is made. A movie is a movie. A book's a book. Tim Waters. <laughs> well, now that's that's a problem with with making movies, you know. And they sure won't have that problem doing the Bible. Uh, although I don't know, I, I I expect one day to have MGM be hit by a gigantic male fist, right in the middle of an oratund rotund phrase by Charlton Heston. I mean, you know, <laughs> I really like to say, and so I say unto thee. Do you know how Charlton has to, I don't know how he does that. I understand he primes with Wee Tina. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to get that sound with a clear mouth. And I understand that, that he trains on Wee Tina and cabbage for four or five months before he goes into a biblical epic. Of course, he's sprayed with that bronze paint, too. That doesn't help at all, either. And, uh, you know, all that stuff in your hair. I like it. And I, um, so I say unto you, the Israelites and the Pharaoh, hey, he's very good at that sort of thing. I'm, I'm not really much of a, I'm not really much of a, of a mimic. I, actually, I can't mimic Charlton Heston, although he mimics God pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I, it's hard to tell. Do you ever, when you think of God, do you think of him as that great airlines pilot in the sky? Do you? Sort of bronzed, wearing a KLM cap, you know, with all those stripes. All that sort of silver-haired. Well, they're going to do the Bible, you see, and, and I I think uh, there's a lot of things we'd like to point out about it. Now, who's going to do the creation in the first place? You know, that's they have never really tried to do that. Do you think they'll get Disney? You know, for the first, it's got to be created. For the first thing, it's got to be created because you don't have any stars unless you got a world. You know, you can't have people walking around. <laughs> it's got, it's just got a son of it. I imagine that will either be George Pal or Disney will do that scene. Great, fantastic. Of course, Disney. Did you read about that Austrian lady? Recently, one of the one of the ladies uh, went uh, was waiting to get into Disneyland, and she was going through the thing there, and she opened up her purse and dumped it all out on the desk. She thought yeah, she really did, and they said, what, "What's what's up here?" And she said, "She really did." She said, "Well, I I thought that we had customs here. I have to have a customs check." Well, of course, she's from Austria. Every time you move in Europe, somebody's looking through your pockets uh, to, to see whether or not you're carrying the bomb. 
Uh, <laughs> I remember one time, uh, that, that embarrassing moment there, I had one time in the Tyrol. Uh, I, I was driving, yes, I was in the Tyrol. Isn't that very interesting? Sound of like a world traveler here. Well, I, I was on, on the main highway there going between München and I was on my way to Innsbruck. I had just left that small town coming into Austria and I was approaching the border there. And on the way, a big sign says, over there is Innsbruck, and over there is Salzburg, and over there, on the other side there, is Linz, where Hitler come from. Well, I'm, I'm on the, oh, it's a very fantastic country, and I'm driving up there, and they have all little things across the gate, and I stop, and I've got this little car. It's kind of like a little motorized roller skate, and I'm, I'm there, and I'm, I stop, and the guy looks in, he says, where is your baggage, please? And I didn't have any baggage. Have you ever checked into a hotel without a baggage? Oh, boy. I mean, it's very... Well, it's even worse if you check into a country without baggage. <laughs> I mean, you know, they look at you very funny. No baggage, yeah. Oh, no, here's no baggage. And the guy comes over and looks at you, and he, he looks at you with a flashlight. So it's dark. He looks at me with a flashlight. He says, that's all right. Here's American. And they look at my search. They take out my little passport and they say, well, this looks like him here in a picture. Yeah, yeah, all right, Otto. All right, be sure you'll come back this way when you leave. You may have trouble on the other side. There's a guy named, what is his name? Earhart. Yeah, oh, yeah, on the other side, a very tough guy, sort of a gun. You come this way. Yeah, all right, we take care of you. Well, I, I realize that now I have friends in Austria uh, <laughs> at the border. Oh, it's a very interesting problem. But now, now since they're going to do the Bible, uh, I, I'm uh, curious now. Of course, obviously, uh, Adam and Eve will have to be Dickie and Liz. There's just no question about that. I wonder who's going to play the snake. Uh, Bobby Rydell might not be bad, although I, I think he's signed to another studio. Uh, it's a, just a wonderful thing. That would be in the post-fall love scene. Can't you see this fantastic scene with, with Dickie and Liz? And uh, the narrator, of course, will have to be Charlton Heston. I'm talking over that the booming tones. He will have to leave, though, when they arrive at the New Testament. He's strictly an Old Testament man, isn't he? I mean, you can't have the same guy narrating before and after, you know. There have to be somebody else come in during the New Testament. Uh, probably Olivier, somebody like that will come in. Uh, or, or maybe they might get Dean Martin. I think he'd be even better. Uh, he's a very good man. But <laughs> oh, I, uh, <laughs> Speaking of before and after, this is WORAM at FM, New York. You should have seen us before. Our hair was plastered down uh, here at this station before we used the magic ingredient. It was plastered down. It looked like it was, you know, lined with soap and everything. Now after, it's all rumpled and the girls just flock. Oh, W-O-R here. Well, we've got other things here. Um, there, uh, Some other things. I'm, I'm just thinking about this. Uh, who would play Noah? I kind of think uh, Peter Lawford would be pretty good at that. And Noah's wife could be Shirley MacLaine. Uh, sure. Either that or Judith Anderson. <laughs> Very, speaking speaking of, of Shirley, oh, the three boys, of course, the three sons of Noah, the Crosby boys, obviously, making the scene all the way. And and uh, I wonder who will build the ark. Ark by Chris Craft. And uh, sure, there's all those little credits down there, all the way up and down the line. You can't uh, can't you can't you just see Sidney Poitier and uh, Eli Wallach following a tinfoil star? Uh, across the scene there. <laughs> oh, yeah, with the music coming up by Dmitry Tiomkin. Tremendous music. And, and the theme music then would be, be... I have to get the theme music being sung by Tony Bennett. Oh, little star of Beth. Oh, 
golly, I can just hear him going with an echo chamber. Uh, this is, and don't think I'm sacrilegious. Where do you see the picture? I mean, we haven't even touched it, I'll tell you. It's, uh, it's funny. Uh, of course, uh, they'll, they'll have Herod. Who will play? Uh, Peter Laurie. Uh, he'll be a fantastic Herod. He's getting to that age now. And get him, get him a little fuzzy, sort of a grayish beard. And uh, I, it, it scares me a little bit, uh, really, in, in a way. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the idea. But I think we've come of age. You know, speaking of coming of age, as long as we're here and it's Friday night and everybody's nervous, we have here an opera promo. And it says, uh, do we have any, any opera music over there? Yeah, I think that. No, this is, this is even better. We haven't had a good aria in a long time. Yes, friends. Now play that again once more now, and I want you to hear it. You just set it back. You know how to cue that thing back up again. All right, now listen very carefully, friends. Hold on to your seats, because this one says it. You can get water where there ain't any well. You can get rain where there ain't any well. You can get honey where there ain't any rain. You can get honey where there ain't any pain. You can get sunshine always after the rain. You can often find heaven without going above. But you can't get loving when there ain't any rain. You can't get loving when you're out there in the cold. By George, I wonder what some guys do for love when their subscription to Playboy runs out. Terrible thing. But uh, speaking of love, I, I was looking at the New York Times the other day, and there was a, a big picture of a beautiful chair, you know, and this lady is sitting in there. She's one of those lonely-looking ladies. And she's sitting in the chair, and she's leaning back, and it says, Your whoopy soft chair loves you. And underneath it, it says, At long last, there will be something around the house that really does love you, lady. And I kind of like the idea of the love because she was reclining in the chair. Which I think is somewhat symbolic too. But oh, we can get all Freudian here. Speaking of Freudian problems, WOR does a recorded opera, and they call it the Golden World of Opera there. And uh, of course, a lot of operas little is there's a little tinfoil in the Golden World of Opera from time to time, and occasionally a little Reynolds wrap, which is handy if you have uh, half tomatoes left over, you know, and you don't want to throw them out, and you don't feel like eating more. Just it's very good. The Metropolitan Opera is closed, of course, and we have them um, on recording. And this week is going to be. As uh, I heard one of our announcers say recently, Ada will be... It's funny she spells with an I. Well, I guess it's a misprint. It's Ada will be the opera tomorrow at 2. And uh, you, you kind of like that. Like the other day, I heard I heard, uh, heard Lyle Van uh, announce that Gloria Vanderbilt is separated from her husband, Sidney Lummett. So I thought uh, <laughs> uh, things are going. It's pretty hard to know how to field these things. You have to keep going to your right all the time. And I'm strictly a counterclockwise runner. It's a terrible thing when you're... Of course, when you play third base, you learn to go to your left and you forget about your right. Sometimes and it gets political and everything. Uh, you don't want to hear any more about how they're going to cast that movie, do you? You do. You want to hear about that? Well, there's a lot of things... Uh, uh, I wonder who the the uh, Pharisee. There's uh, I I kind of kind of like the idea of the Good Samaritan coming along there. John Wayne, or really actually he's not so much the the Good Samaritan type. Uh, I think John Wayne is more uh, he's more the Samson, isn't he? Something like can you see him as Samson? Not Samson really. Yeah, well I don't know. Uh, in a way I don't know whether Wayne should be in this picture. Something not quite biblical about him. Although I kind of like Chuck Connors. Uh, I, I have to get kind of Robert Mitchum. I think would be very good as one of the wise men. 
uh, yes. I mean, he, you know, he sweats a lot, and uh, you could put a little makeup on him, you know, and and Mitchum. It was very. There's a nice trio: Mitchum, uh, Robert, Ryan, and possibly Sidney Poitier, going over those sands uh, on those camels. And uh, <laughs> I kind of like it. Have to be done in cinerama, though. A big wide screen. You can't mess with the whole Bible in narrow black and white. It's got to be very wide screen. It's got to run the whole length and width of the whole theater there. And this movie, of course, as you know, uh, since they are going to do the Bible, uh, you, you realize there's, there's a lot of different conflicting views. So this would, this would have to be totally non-controversial, uh, non-controversial Bible thing there. Because uh, we've got to keep away from things like sin, unless it only concerns dancing girls. You know, the only kind of sin that you ever see in Hollywood movies about the Bible are dancing girls and guys that somehow eat boar's heads and drink out of great big horns. Well, now, you know there isn't anybody in your neighborhood sins like that. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I don't even know a dancing girl, and I haven't drunk out of a, out of a well, a big horn since, let's see, it's been over a year. And uh, as far as eating boar's heads, oh, by George, I haven't had a boar's head since last summer. So actually, I don't think that kind of sin is as popular as it used to be. So we'll stick to that kind of sin. Now, the other kind of sin we won't even fool with because, you know, that can be very controversial. Now, if you show a bunch of guys in the corner jazzing around with their tax reform, you know, tax returns, if you show a bunch of guys jiggling around with their, uh, you know, doing a little adjusting there on their uh, expense accounts, well, we don't want to show that in any kind of a movie about the Bible. Uh, you know, nothing like that. We don't want to show anything about, you know, this guy. Uh, well, there's a lot of things. You know what I'm talking about. We've got to keep away from that sort of thing in the movie. But, you know, speaking of, of sin and, and retribution, as long as we're on here Friday night, I might as well get right into it. I, uh, this is a story that I've hesitated to tell for a long time because, you know, one thing that is in the, in the American breast is that hope does spring eternal in the American breast. Of course, we're always having trouble. We get hit in the face and kicked all over and thrown down the chute and everything. And we, can, we always come up feeling that it's going to be all right tomorrow. If we stick around long enough, if we get the right guy in, it'll all be cleared up. Right, Don? You know, for crying out loud, we've been looking for the right guy now for 300. But he's going to come. He's going to come. And, and, and when he comes, he's going to clean it all up, boy. And he's going to have all the right thoughts. And I'm sure he's going to eat Wheaties. And uh, he's going to be very good. Uh, hey, anybody out there got a fielder's mitt? I'd like to toss a few here and play a little catch. But uh, that's, we'll wait the letter after the show. But one time, I, I guess you, you learn, you know, early in life. Either I wonder where a guy learns how to be an eternal optimist and where another guy learns what it really is like. At what point does that happen? At what point do you go on and... You, have you ever seen these old-time showbiz types? Uh, like the Al Jolson type or the Eddie Cantor type, these guys are all full of sweetness and light, and they're all 87 billion to the good. Every one of them, you see, and they figure it's all going to come up roses all the time. I, I, <laughs> have you ever watched any of those guys sing? Well, I wonder how you get that kind of view of life. How you become a guy that's, that, that there's things like, At the end of the rainbow, there is a pot of gold, baby, and I'm going to be there. At the end of the rainbow. You know, and I think, gee whiz, wow. I, I, I don't know anybody in Hessville, Indiana, that sings that. 
because they, they, they know they're at the end of the rainbow, and all that is at the end of the rainbow is, you see, the rainbow, you never see it here. The rainbow doesn't end here in New York. It sort of arches up. Have you seen rainbow? You'd be surprised. It ends just outside of Black Oak, Indiana, which is just the other side of Gary. And you know what's there? A big grease trap. And everybody goes down, and when the rainbow is there, we can see it end right over there. And we drive over. I used to remember guys used to go on their bicycles and everything, because we heard them songs, you know, about what's at the end of the rainbow. And we'd all go there, and it was a big grease trap that was operated by an outfit known as the Griselli Chemical Company. They used to pour all used sulfur and stuff in it, and we'd stand around there waiting for it to turn to gold. And of course, it's very difficult when you see what's there. Well, where do you pick these things up? You know, where does it happen? Well, I remember... Oh, boy, oh, boy. The awful, fantastic reality of a scene. Have you ever sat in your pad? Right now, you can do it if you want to. Just turn all the lights out and sit there for one ten-second moment and just stare with bloodshot eyes into the darkness. Over there in the corner, where the closet is, where the overshoes are hidden behind under the coats, just sitting there, you know, it's been like this for a hundred years. Just sit. You stare. You say, well, you don't want to do that too often. You don't want to do that too often because it can get to be a genuine, not only a habit, it can get to be, it can, it can, it can be translated into all sorts of different types of action or non-action. Well, I remember one time. I, I, this, this, I have to tell this story because it's it's the illustration of that moment of unbelievable bleakness. You know, it's 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 rare that a person in life, the kind of life we live today, with millions of safeguards. You know, we have thousands of little safeguards, insurance policies, and every kind of thing, uh, unemployment insurance, and there's everything going. You know, and there's Muzak. There's the diner's club, everything there to, to keep your cushion from what it's like. So we hardly ever feel that moment of absolute, total, trapped, completely lost, gone down the drain, thoroughly, completely indoctrinated, impregnated, rottenness out the window. It's all gone. It's all over. Rotten. It's gone. Over. There's no hope. We never feel that, you see. We, 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 yes, it's a rare thing today. Well, let me tell you, one time when it happened to me, I, it's still, when I think about it, it's, it's hard for me to think about it. It's, a, it's the moment of being completely trapped. You cannot escape. You've got you've to face it, you know. In our life today, mostly we can walk away from anything. We can. People walk away from international politics. If they don't want to read about Vietnam, they don't, you know, and they figure it's gone then, it's gone. <laughs> All kinds of things we can do by walking. Guys will, uh, many guys ignore the race situation today. They just walk away. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hear about it. They just walk away, figuring it's going to go away. I, I'll bet right now there must be of 150 people listening who think they've got cancer or some terrible, deadly disease, and are afraid to go to the doctor to find out, you know? We just walk away, walk away, and keep going, going, going. Well, that's the thing you can do in civilian life, you see. You can do that. But the one thing that guys learn about when they're in the Army life is there is another thing. There is another world. There is the, there is the world, that moment, when you cannot. you just got to look at it. There it is. It's growing. Oh. <laughs> they won't let you turn around. There it is. It's right in front of you. Go! They say, go! Well, I'll tell you what happened. 
I guess the time that it really happens to you is when you have all the dreams. And all of us have dreams. We have dreams, and attached to each little dream that we have, usually the unattainable ones, is the escape clause, or the little hatch by which you can slide down the chute to the next dream. The minute that dream gets a little troublesome, you can shoot right out, you know, and go to the next one. And I, I'm curious how many dreams the average person carries around in his head, literally dreams, about himself, about all, about the place he works, the people he knows, about everything in his life, the dream, you know, the dream, and how it's going to all work out in the end. It will all work out. Every one of us has a secret belief, on the one hand, that it will all work out. Our story will work out to a happy ending. You know, the concept of a happy ending is almost entirely an American concept. I'm, believe me, if you went up to Chekhov and you said to Chekhov, uh, do you ever have the desire to write a happy ending? Happy ending? What do you mean, happy ending? What's a happy ending? What is it, happy ending? Well, you know, happy ending. The guy marries a chick, and they... Uh, happy ending, you know, the music comes up, and the thing, and the color there, and the technical, and the band plays, and they come with the credits, you know, Liz and Dickie, and they go off. Happy, Robert Goulet marries, you know, Carol Lawrence. It's happy ending. That's what I... What is it, happy ending? Who may know? What, what is it, happy ending? In, in, in short, the concept of the happy ending or the sad ending never enters large numbers of people's minds anywhere else in the world but here. To them, there's just the ending. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no such thing as a happy ending or a, a sad ending. It's the, the ending. So, but we have, we have invented the term happy ending. And a guy's life either has a happy ending or it has a sad ending. This is an American conceit. It really is. And uh, it's a fascinating thing because it, it shows up many times in our, our tabloids particularly believe in this kind of thing. Uh, it'll show up, it'll say, uh, unbelievable thing happened last night. Man with $7 million commits suicide. Well, it's unbelievable because obviously this guy had a happy ending. He had $7 million in the bank. This is a happy ending right there. What's the clown doing jumping out of the window? You know? Idiotic. It's the, it's the happy ending conceit. And we have invented it. And it is truly an American thing. Uh, we, we, and that's why many people will say, well, I don't like to go to them foreign pictures. So it's depressing, all them foreign pictures. Well, <laughs> you know, what do you mean depressing? They, 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 they just don't know about the happy ending. Or, or, of course, a few of them are learning now what, what goes over big and, and low is, you know. Uh, they're learning what, what makes the scene big over here at the Paramount. But what, what is it? You know, they, well, I don't like going pictures all the time with a bad, unhappy endings there. I like happy endings. I like them. I seen them murder the other night. I, I see enough rotten stuff in my life. I don't want this realism stuff. I want Doris Day all the time. Well, uh, that's an American thing. Well, I, it really is. And I remember one time being a good American, you know, and, and, and as a kid, you remember this, you see, as a kid, I have grown up with, on, on one side is Andy Hardy and, and old friendly Judge Hardy, you know, Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland and all them, all them people, see. And, and, of course, I just, right out of my skull, you know, our high school was rotten. I mean, fist fights in the halls and guys falling down the air shaft and all that. It wasn't like Andy Hardy's school where all the kids were riding around in those Model A convertibles. You remember that school? Oh, great. And I didn't know one guy that had a father like Judge Hardy. 
ever. You know, the golden-haired sort of kid coming in talking to the silver-haired daddy, and they're going to have a man-to-man talk. I'll, I remember my father, come here, you! That was my father's man-to-man talk. What do you do now? And then, you know, then there'd be a lot of scuffling and hollering, and we'd knock over the fern, and that would be the, the, the scene right there, see? Well, of course, <laughs> I... I, I <laughs> Uh, that, that, that wasn't the way Andy talked. I can't remember Judge Hardy, you know. I would love to see the scene, you know. All, all of us kids, Bruner and Flick. Oh, you, if you think that I had one, you should have heard Flick's dad come home. Why, Flick's dad used to come home, and, and when he was bugged with Flick, Mrs. Flick would call Mr. Flick at the office, and you could tell when Mr. Flick was mad, Mr. Flick would put his brakes on a full block and a half away from the house. Because he would come high-tailing home in his in his Pontiac. You'd hear him come up to the house, boom, and slam the door. Cuck, 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 cuck. And then you'd in the house. That would be the whole scene. <laughs> well, that would be it, you know. And and you'd hear you'd hear and then you'd hear in there, pow, pow, pow. Well, that's the way Mr. Flick handed it. That's the way it was. Now, Mr. Schwartz, on the other hand, Mr. Schwartz was another one. He was the blue-jawed guy out of the AC spark plugs ad. And, and Mr. Schwartz, I never forget him. He would, you'd hear the window open. You'd hear, Paul! He had, the, he had the very clipped laconic. Like my old man was always part of the South Side scene, you know, he, he, which meant he was garrulous. He talked a lot. You know, he came out of the South Side, 55th and Union, Irish background, James Farrell, the whole scene. So when my father would say, what are you doing now for crying out loud? Well, that isn't the way old man Schwartz did. He was more of the Teutonic father, you see. Uh, they came from the, 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 the German background, and he had a very clipped way. And you'd hear the window go up like this. Oh, oh boy. I'll tell you, each, the, the whole outfield would snap to attention, you see. Because we knew there but for the grace of a few genes, there but for the grace of something up there, goes me. You know, I could have got that one. See, Paul! And Paul would go through the weeds. You'd see the stickers flying. Pass around home plate. Over the road, you know. Up the back steps. Boom! Into the door. Boom! And then you'd hear... You never understand them out across the road. You just hear... Well, there would be silence from that house for the next week. And we would we would have to be out looking for a center fielder. Well, <laughs> that's just the way it went, you know. So so we would go, and we're living in the dream world. You know, we never missed Andy Hardy. We never missed, uh, you know, the, the Westerns and all that stuff. So all of a sudden, one day, and of course, uh, along with that, there were all kinds of movies uh, like Errol Flynn and the, and the Marines, we were seeing all sorts. Oh yes, that was fantastic. He was. I, I don't think there was ever a marine like Errol Flynn. Possibly the next best marine was Don Amici. He was very good too. It's a fantastic company commander. Well, we were brought up on that whole scene, and and uh, everybody says they're kind of shining faces and everything. They march and all, and it looked like you know it looked like it really looked like a, like a ball. It really looked great. Well, I finally had the, the you know when you get you get removed from your family. And you're marching out into the world. One of the things about the kids of today is they're very fortunate. Very few of them ever have to leave that uh, apron string. Oh, no, they don't. They really don't. Uh, some guys are, are... I know some guys that are 30 years old that are married and their mother has been paying their way ever since. 
Oh, yeah, and they're still little kids. You know, they eat popsicles, and, uh, and the wife, you know, the wife bounces a little rubber ball around the house, and they sit there, and they can't figure it out. They've got this kid. They can't figure out what happened there. This is a little kid there. So they're playing house, you know, and this little kid, you know, and, and generally mother takes care of the kid about nine-tenths of the time. And it's all kinds of little kid stuff. Well, that's an interesting world. Well, it was very different when you went into the Army. Let me tell you what happened. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I'm a kid, see, and I'm, I'm living in Andy Hardy on one side and, and uh, Farina and Weetina on the other side. And my idea of a real wild night was a really wild night was to get a black cow. And, and, you know, black cow is a root beer where, where they, put, uh, they put ice cream in it, see. And I'd get a black cow and a foot-long hot dog. Now, that was, that was the way of getting bombed out of your skull at that time. Because if I ate a foot-long hot dog and you had a gigantic dad's old-fashioned root beer, that's the big gallon and a half stein, believe me, by the time you were down to the bottom of that thing and you had gnawed the first nine and a half inches of one of those lead hot dogs, you were there were things going on. Your eyes would pop out. It was like LSD or something. And, uh, you know, and you're sitting. Well, that was that was a that was a bombing session in those days. So, yeah, I, I'm 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 one night I'm they, I get the I get the call. See, I'm I'm I'm, I'm all excited. Now let's let's be honest. It, I don't think there are more than four or five guys out of a thousand who are not excited and aren't excited even now, even though it's very unhip to admit it to be called into the army, to be taken away, you know, just literally taken away. Because uh, it's, it's funny that I, I suspect that the, that the idea of, of most kids of that period was to become adults. That was a big thing, to try to make it as an adult. Today, the, the whole idea is quite the opposite, is to not be an adult. The whole, the whole basic idea is to stay a kid forever. Somehow, if you can be a kid, if you can be 17 forever and ever and ever, you've got it beaten. Well, everyone, you know, the idea of going in the Army was just a fantastic thing. And, and, and so I'm about 17 and a bunch of other guys, and we all go down. And I remember the day. Now, this is, this is where the moment of reality starts to come in. And they sent me to Fort Sheridan. Well, I get to Fort Sheridan, you know, and it's like a, a big... Very fast, loud, yelling, insane, nutty Boy Scout camp, but yet recognizable as a Boy Scout camp because I was surrounded by thousands of guys who were still under the wing of Andy Hardy on one side and Gary Cooper on the other. And, you know, and so I arrived there, and I was only there a couple of minutes, like, and they put me in a big train, and they, they, they said, we are now shipping you guys off. Well, we sat in this train. And it was very exciting. Every, you know, the word was going out all over where, where we're going to go because they don't tell you. See, and everybody says, "Boy, all excited!" It just—it was like we were now really going out into the world. And you know, the world was Andy Hardy. We were going to finally meet Judge Hardy. You know, they were when we get to the end of that train, the real people would be there. We would be greeted by our company commander, and our company commander would probably be Pat O'Brien. Either that, or we would have Jack Oakey as the friendly sergeant. And uh, the friendly but hard sergeant, you know, but a heart of gold, certainly that. Well, we're in this train, and it is like, a, it's, it's genuinely, uh, how many times have you in your life ever taken a train to an entirely new life? Now, I don't mean to a new city. I mean to a new life. A genuine change of scene. You see, the thing that happens in plays, for example, is that they will say, 30 years later, and that's very exciting, you see, to see people say uh, the scene is in 19, uh, 1920, and then it says 30 years later, 1950, 
And we're watching. Gee, it's wild. Well, it doesn't happen often in life. Well, it was happening. And we're sitting in the train. And I can remember not even being able to sleep. Guys around me were all trying to be very blasé, you know, and they were they were pretending like they were big beer drinkers and all that. You know, these guys were from Sen High School and all that. I knew the guys, you know, they were they weren't kidding me. But now they're real tough soldiers and they're swearing, say, "Oh, damn you!" You know that kind of stuff. And, uh, and they're they're all practicing being tough, hard GIs. And our uniforms are all scratching, and we're sitting there, and we take off, and the train heads south out of out of Chicago. And it's it's very hot. The the the, the uh, cars were roughly. I'd say the cars were roughly about 1850 vintage. They had little gas jets. They really did. Telling you the truth, they had gas jets all around, and they had been rewired with electric light bulbs, yellow bulbs hanging down in the middle and swinging back and forth. And we're sitting. We've got all our equipment hanging up, and we you know we can see the movies. It's the movies like the Eve of Saint Mark, and we're we're, we're on our way. But everybody was really tremendously excited and could hardly wait to get there. And it was it was just going to be just it, just exciting. That's all. Very exciting. We could hardly wait to get there. Well, we went down south. We went through Indiana in the darkness. And I look out, you know, and I can see Indianapolis out there. And it's maybe two o'clock in the morning. And boy, I'm 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 leaning back in the seat. Now they've got the lights out in the place. You see, we're all supposed to be asleep in our seats. It was not a, a bunk type thing. We were just being transported in in sit up cars. And you could see guys itching. I'm looking out. Everybody's asleep, and then there's this sort of silence, and way in the back, there are two guys with a flashlight. Already, you know, they're practicing playing poker. <laughs> they never played poker for, what is it, the thing? They don't know how, you know, they're, they're strictly guys, that, you know, kids that are playing war with cards, you know, an old maid. Now they're practicing poker. They, they know they're going to the Army. So we're coming down, and I look out, and there's, there, it's the first time that I have ever left, genuinely gone into the foreign states genuinely gone into the foreign states. There are certain states and places that everybody lives in when you're a kid. You know, you go over to Jersey, you go to Pennsylvania maybe, but can you imagine how exciting it would be, kid, say, if, if suddenly, all by yourself, in the darkness, you're crossing a river and you're coming to Ohio or something like that. It's a really foreign country. This is really getting out there. And we were crossing the river. We're crossing the big old Ohio River into Kentucky. And I'm looking out. Gee, there's Kentucky out there. And the moonlight is hanging. And I'm all excited. And I can feel the things in my stomach, the butterflies. And it's getting more exciting. And hour after hour, and I doze off a little bit. And it's getting hot. And then it gets cold. And then your clinker is coming into the window. And more as we go, it's just like a gigantic theatrical buildup. The further you went... And the more uncomfortable it was in the train, the more excited you were about getting there. You see, getting there became a genuine goal. And I'm sitting there, oh boy, oh boy. And now it's dawn. I can see dawn coming up. And by George, believe it or not, dawn is coming up and we are in Arkansas. Boy, you can see Arkansas and Pine Bluff is going by and we're looking and we're hour after hour goes and the train goes into sidings and comes out again. Hour after hour after hour and there's weeds. We go through towns and as we go, it's getting lighter and more beautiful out and more exciting, little mountains and things. And everybody is singing and hollering and hitting each other and guys are saying, damn you, they're practicing, you know. And, oh, go to hell, and yelling and shouting. So we're going further and further. Well, we finally get to this place. And the train is shunted off into a siding. And we're waiting there. We've been in a thousand sidings, you know, and up this and here's nothing but weeds, you see, weeds out there. We're shunted off in those siding. 
And all of a sudden, a guy comes to the car and he says, All right, are you guys? How do you know Let's go! Get out! Let's go! How do you know all day? Well, we start to go. We're all excited. We're here. We pile out and we're standing in the boondocks. And, 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 and there's a little hill. There's a tiny hill, a little bitty hill. It's about seven feet high, just high enough not to see over it. And so we're standing down there in the gravel in the boondocks, and we see up on the top of the hill a great big GI truck. And coming out of the GI truck is a sergeant. He says, All right, all you guys, get up here in the double I don't have all day. Come on. Well, we go running up the hill, and we look, and there it is, stretched out before us. There is a long, flat field of rutted mud with great big ruts and holes and puddles in it. And we see about seven tents over there on the left. And we, we think, where's the, where's the camp? You know, where's the camp? That place where, you know, Private Hargrove is marrying all those guys the barracks. And everybody yells and sings and goes down to the PX. And, and you know, we're all sort of standing there and we're all a little skinny. And the sergeant says, all right, come on, you guys, on the double, let's go, on the truck. He drives us 20 feet and stops in front of a big puddle. All right, get out, let's go. And down we go. And we look. And they start yelling right then. All right. Slop, slop, clop, 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 clop through the swamp, clop, clop, clop. All right, squad, halt! Fire you guys! I want you out here on the company street in five minutes. We got a lot of work to do. Halt! Company street, mud, dirt. This guy hates us, and we look around. There's no escape. There it is. It's real. It's hot. It's cold, it's raining, it's snowing, it's the war. We're never going to get out, and it's real. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. The boldest view of love and life that you've ever seen. Arthur Miller's New York television premiere of A View from the Bridge. It's on the big preview.